Angela Fazio is an industry powerhouse who has overseen 40,000 homes sold and 9 billion in production. And Kristen Cantrell is one of the nation's most accomplished team leaders, helping thousands of agents build their businesses. They are passionate about educating, encouraging, and empowering moms in real estate. Our next episode starts now. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Moms in Real Estate. I'm Kristen Cantrell. I'm Angela Fazio. Today's guest is from Miami, Florida. Her name is Bridget Brick. And we're going to be talking about helping the everyday American escape the matrix. How cool does that I can't sound? Wait. I can't wait to dive into this. It's so good. It's so good. So Bridget, why don't you get us started? Tell us a little bit of background on yourself. Sure. So I was very much in the tech industry. I was helping companies prep themselves to raise capital for say a series A round, like a COO on demand. And something struck me at the beginning of 2020 to start my spiritual journey. So sort of dive in head first. And, you know, up until that point, I was San Diego 40 under 40, a top speaker at startup week. So it was very in my career. And I just kind of let it all melt away in the pandemic went through my spiritual awakening journey and then popped out on the other side in an industry that interestingly I had done while at university. So I had worked in the mortgage industry at university and for a short year, right after graduating college and then abandoned that went into the tech world. And now I found myself coming full circle back to this industry. And I really found my heart in what I do. And so, you know, there's a whole gamut of, of routes we can go down to talk about how it helps you escape the matrix, but I love what I do. And, and I'm back in the investment property loans industry. You guys, I'm one, one, I can't wait for you guys to listen all the way through because this story absolutely captivated us because her description of her life before mm -hmm. and after is like, it's a dramatic change from, mm -hmm. and, and I think you described it like, we lived the perfect life. I had the perfect husband. We had the perfect careers. We even had the perfect dog, but you were both super unhappy. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, um, if, if you are into and understand spiritual awakening and healing, what you'll find is that you have patterns that were installed in you in childhood that you carry throughout your young adult and adult life. And the pattern for me is I needed to, to do something to receive love, right? And so it was my father who was emotionally unavailable, which is, a you know, another story. Um, so at the time, just because he wasn't in touch with, he didn't have the tools he needed, right? And so he was emotionally unavailable. And so what I found is every time I would achieve something or do something or be the best at something or, or win an award, then I would receive his attention, affection, all of those things. So I was a very performative child. I mean, mm -hmm. I was class president. I was number eight in the class. I, um, I was in 15 clubs in high school. And then at university, I worked 30 hours a week doing mortgages while also, um, graduating summa cum laude while also working out two hours a day. Like everything was just tight and perfect. Right. So it is very planned, controlled, scheduled, you know, I'm on it life. And, you know, the, the person that I married was the first person I ever fell in love with. It was, it was, you know, going into university. So I dated him all through university. We got married after he um, was a Navy SEAL. And so, you know, on paper, perfect. And, you know, we have this great life where I worked so hard at university to get the perfect job. And the perfect job to me was 
pharmaceutical sales, right? So you work from home and you set your own schedule and you have a company car that's paid for and your cell phone's paid for. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so then we bought a house and we remodeled a house and then and we had, had a dog together. So we raised a dog and from the outside looking in, it was very perfect. And we're both from the South. So that is a very normal life to, to date someone through university and get married right after to get married young. And I even remember having a moment where I'm like, the furniture I picked out was based on what I think they, they, right? Like from back home would like, but it's not even our style. And it just, I just dawned on me, okay, why don't we go get furniture? Like, um, and you know, just everything was, was very planned and perfect and seemed perfect from the outside in. And just the longer we were in that relationship, it was a trauma bond. If you know what trauma bonds are, because trauma bonds sort of trigger your spiritual awakening and healing, but it, we ended up triggering each other and it just got worse and worse and worse. And that whole thing fell apart. And basically my whole life, I tore all of my life down. I quit working for corporate. I started working for startups, which is how I got into the startup industry. And yeah, it's it's just a wild picture or depiction from what you're told is perfect and you mm -hmm. go achieve all those things that you think are perfect based on what society said or this group of people <clears throat> or that group of people. So you go do these things and then it turns out it's not at all matching your soul or the feeling inside of your body. And yeah, so I kind of just tore all that down after the marriage and it took a few years to find myself, but that's well, it's story. so it's so hard to unlearn something that your whole life you've thought was true. And it's mm -hmm. so remarkable to see you and like see how you recognized it and took action. And now here you are on the other side and you, you just glow when you talk about what you do. And I think that this is actually a perfect time for you to tell everybody like, what is it specifically that you do? Because it's not just that you do mortgages. You do right. something way cooler. I'm, I'm putting the pause button on because I have this humongous question before you tell us. Okay. That. We're going to let you tell us that for sure. But I just know in my heart, there are women listening right this second that are like, whoa, that is me. And I <laughs> yeah. didn't even know that I was living this performance-based life that mm -hmm. has nothing to do with why am I feeling so disconnected? Maybe that's it. So you have to you have to pause and say, what are the one, two, three things or the processes? And I know that's not a roadmap. It's individual for, you know, each person needs to go through their own process. But what kind of started that? And like, what are some of the things that you did intentionally? Because you didn't just, one of the things that impressed me about our conversation we had is you didn't just drift into it. Yeah. You know, so you didn't put your head in the sand when you realized your life was, let's call it a mess, even though it was perfect, right? Mm -hmm. It was a mess. You didn't put your head in the sand. You had intentionality in your, I just tore everything down and, built it back up. Can you talk a little bit into that? Sure. So the structure of our society in America does not lean into or lend to full feminine expression. And so what the feminine does or women do, because this is moms in real estate, especially moms, is we lean into this masculine energy, this overly masculinized performance, control, outcome, doing, going, exhaustion, right? Because that is how we see things get achieved in life. And we don't yet have a balance in our society where the feminine is appreciated for what she brings to the table in her feminine energy and the masculine is appreciated for what he brings. And in this regard, I'm talking about energy. It's mostly embodied by females, but if you have, you know, a, a couple of same gender couple, it can, one person will embody one energy and one, the other. So, um, I was very much leaning into that masculine energy and doing all these things and performing and going and pushing and control. And yes, I had the outcomes, but it 
it exhausted me and it burned me out and I kind of lost my mind. Mm -hmm. There were moments where I was on the edge of, of, of sanity, right? I maybe even dipped into insanity a little <laughs> bit because it wasn't my, I wasn't settling in my soul. And so for me, what allowed me to leave a situation that wasn't working for me was a female psychologist going, as I was going through the divorce. And she said, you know, you can choose yourself. And I was dumbfounded. Like <laughs> I'm allowed to choose myself. You mean, I don't have to stay in this marriage because religious conditioning says so. And I will be judged by all the people in the town if I leave. And, you know, I don't have to just stand by his side and put up with this. And you, you mean, I can choose myself. And so that was the first moment where I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to decondition from what I was taught into choosing myself. And then in choosing myself, because it was a codependent sort of energy, anytime there's a trauma upon, there's a codependency. And so I was in that case unknowingly at the time with the codependent giver, and he was the codependent taker. And so whenever you pull yourself out of that energy, the person receiving the benefits of the other end will get very, you know, um, they want to, they want to consume you. They want to be more part of you. They're kind of like an anxious attached person. And so the, the steps that I took were first understanding that I get to choose me and that I, I am first. Now the steps I took after when I left, I did not deal with the pain of losing that relationship very well because I didn't have the tools. And so my response mechanism to negative stimuli was this sort of manic or dip into all the fun escapism behavior. And so the escapism or the fun was to the degree of the pain that I was not willing to face. And it was a large amount of pain. So if you watched my life at that time, like if you've known me for these years and you saw my Instagram stories and my Facebook posts, I, I was constantly doing every event and activity that there was to do. I even dyed my hair platinum blonde. I traveled <laughs> to Europe for eight weeks. I mean, I was all over the place. And then I thought, okay, this isn't working. Let me just settle back into my career. And so I launched the year after leaving my ex and kind of dealing with that insanity of a washing machine of a life. Um, I decided I dyed my hair dark, dark brown, like almost black, and became launched my consulting company and became top speaker at San Diego Startup Week and earned San Diego 40 under 40 that year. And so it was very performance-based. But what what the trigger moment was for me is now I'm single, so I'm going on, you know, dating app and going on all these dates, and I just could not feel a connection. I literally was like, I don't feel anything for anyone. Mm. I need to just stop and do like single sober celibate, like focus on myself. And so that's what started it in 2020 is me knowing deep down my heart wasn't there. And so the second key to this first is choosing yourself. And always as a woman, you have to pour into yourself first because you cannot pour from an empty cup. You have to put yourself first. You have to fill yourself up first. And underneath all those layers comes, well, you need to be able to ask for help. You need to receive help. You need to be willing to receive help because receiving is feminine, right? And so you cannot be this martyr and doing and doing and running yourself ragged and dry and over giving because you're going to build resentment. <clears throat> so that's mm -hmm. the first step. Second step is finding your heart. So for me, I started meditation in 2020. I had never meditated before. I had to Google what is self-work and figure that out. I have a and feeling meditation did not come easy to you. <laughs> no, because I was very like, yeah. I, I can read a book 
and also have a thought process in my head while I'm reading a page in a book. Like I am, I, my brain is on overdrive, right? <laughs> so, so, so the, the, the finding my heart was really tapping into the meditation of opening it back up because I had closed it because of all the pain. Right. And so I read Joe Dispenza's Becoming Supernatural. It's the only book that could get me to meditate because it had all this logic and science mixed in with all these things you can't measure or see, which is really what that meditation is about. You can't really see or measure that, but somehow Joe Dispenza manages to do it, put it in a book, and it convinced me to start meditating. And I remember this one meditation where I finally got to my heart, and this is weeks into it, and it was in a treasure tre treasure chest at the bottom of the ocean. So it rises out of the ocean and there's a lock on the, on the chest. So I have to cut the lock off and then it opens and out comes this thing, but it's covered in tinfoil. And so I had to, you know, in my mind, peel all layers of tinfoil. And then it was this glowing emerald ball, which is the color of your heart chakra. And I started crying because I hadn't experienced my heart in such a long time. And so that's really the second step. And we can go into more, but it's it's choosing yourself, pouring into yourself first, asking and receiving help and finding your heart and really getting in touch with your heart and being present with that. I don't think anybody can be truly happy in life and escape some kind of a process. Like for me, mm -hmm. it was Jesus uncovering himself mm -hmm. and, and, and revealing himself to me and changing my heart. Because I was very much like you. I wanted to be all things to all people. I always had to achieve. And that, in hindsight, because Jesus saved me when I was 30 and I'm 51, right? If I hadn't had that awakening, you know, I would be this terrible, miserable mm -hmm. person. Yep. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you got that experience of pushing that back because we talk about it all the time especially women were, were conditioned to perform and to be perfect and to look great and to be great moms and be amazing, perfect house people and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's, it's unobtainable. And we are going like where you feel like you watch these, you know, guys that are able to like get up early, go straight to work, work all day, get home late, dinner's made. And it's like, it's, really hard to be able to do all the things, be the wife, be the mom, be the business owner and not feel that resentment. Like it's really, it's really hard. You did such a great job laying that out. Yeah, you we're, really did. We're I know like there's more to it. But. I know. I'm like, whoa, that was really good. And yeah. then I also had such a great visual. Um, so is that like guided meditation is what you went through to be able to go through that exact, like the treasure chest at the bottom of the ocean? It, so I made that up, but he has guided meditations, I think around chapter three or four that allow you to, to go through each chakra, which is from the base to your crown and really focus on that part of your body. And that's how I got my brain to center and focus on one thing instead of, you know, meditation is hard if you don't focus on something. So you're focusing on each area, there's seven chakras and you're thanking it for what it does. You're giving it appreciation and you're, you're wishing for the greater good, you know, whatever it is that you wish for the greater good. And then you go to the next one. And so I would do that over and over again. And one day I finally just stopped at my heart chakra and was like, I want to focus on this today. So th that was my own doing, but I was ready. I, mm -hmm. You know, I had sought that. That's awesome. awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, now tell, tell us what you do. <laughs> okay. So now finding my heart, I was able to get in touch with pieces and parts of my soul and my work and my purpose. 
that I had not been able to access before. And what's interesting as the feminine is where we are supposed to experience the emotions of the world and, and share those emotions, not in a reactive or negative way, but just the love, right? And all the, everything you feel. And with having found my heart, I had a deep connection and desire for the good of all of humanity, right? To raise the vibration of the collective. I want everyone to experience real happiness because I had not really experienced real happiness until these moments. And then I knew what it was. And then you look around in our society and you see that 10% of people are on antidepressants. Mm -hmm. People don't feel happiness. That's the one thing you can't buy. You have to do the work to get to it. Mm -hmm. And so with my desire of wanting deep happiness for everyone, I started to peel apart because I still have my analytical, logical brain, right? It's been operating this way for so long. Started to peel apart what exactly makes someone happy. What makes someone happy is kind of having time freedom, having control of their decisions, having control of their schedule, having control of their family and their dis- and the decisions of the family. And so, okay, how do you get time freedom and decisions for your family and control of all of those things? How are you running this in your, you know, divine way? What you you need in the structure of our society to have money. That's the unfortunate or fortunate part of what we live in is we can't just live in this avatar movie type society. It doesn't exist. Utopia is not here. So we still have to exist in capitalism. So there are ways to be able to get those things through the capitalism system. Mm -hmm. And so I like to explain what I do in three layers. One, I like to help the everyday American family escape the matrix, buy back their time and have freedom. The, The how is I help your money work for you. And the what is I provide investment property loans that are easy to qualify for because we don't look at W-2s, income, tax returns, or employments in order to qualify the loan. And these loans don't report to credit. So they're not counting against your debt to income or borrowing power. Wow. I that love, was very yeah. succinct. Well said. Well, I'm not <laughs> shocked after the last part. She, you're like very, I mean, holy moly. Obviously, your mind is very I methodical. Know. It is. because just like we're, ours. <laughs> oh, my God. We're like just like we're a, shoot from the, the hip and you're like one, two, three. Like, that's why I'm like this. I'm like just staring. Like how? I know. How it's so good. <laughs> how the heck did we get connected again? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I am in a network for athlete relocation services for when athletes get traded to different cities and they want to uh, rent or buy real estate. Yes. And one of the gals in that network put me in touch with you. I love that. That nice. is th- that is why nice. this podcast is so fantastic. Like it really is. And you <laughs> are so awesome. So tell So tell me more. Okay, so if I'm like, what do you mean? I want to buy an investment property. Okay. Take me through like what it is that you do with your customers. Okay. So first you need to f- locate a property that you want to buy. So that comes down to what city do you want it in? Do you want it in your own city? Do you want it in one of these hotspot cities? So first you have to have an indication of what you want. Now, once you find a property that you think you want to buy, you would come to me, fill out the intake form. It's a lot easier than going back and forth. So it's just about, you know, 15 questions about your credit score, the income of the property, the address, how many beds and baths, um, what entity are you going to close it in, et cetera. What we do is then we look at the the income that the property is going to make. That is how these loans are underwritten. Mm -hmm. We're not looking at your income. We're looking at the property's income. So we're looking at this like a business purpose loan Mm -hmm. that is a mortgage. And so as long as the property's income 
covers the cost of the mortgage. And by mortgage, I mean all of it. PITIA, the PITIA, which is the principal interest, taxes, insurance, and HOA fees. So as long as it covers the entire cost of the mortgage and you meet the liquidity requirements, I'll go over in a second, you're able to get the loan. So the other piece of this is, while it's easy to qualify in that regard, it does require a higher down payment because these are investment property loans, business purpose loans. So they require at least a 20% down payment and six months of PITIA reserves. Now that money is not escrowed, but we need to know that if you can't get it rented out on you know whatever platform, whether it's a long-term lease or a short-term lease, that you have six months of payments somewhere that you can make the payment. That makes sense. That's actually, mm -hmm. that actually makes a lot of sense to me. I'm surprised I haven't heard of that before because logically mm -hmm. speaking, if you have that amount of money up front and you have mm -hmm. the reserves and the property can hold its own, <clears throat> why right. not lend on the property? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love, I love that whole process. And I feel like, um, there's so many people that don't know about that, that are in our industry. And I feel like it's kind of starting to come out more and more. So I love listening to you and you educating on it. So well, there's what one more piece I want to add. The thing about these loans is it makes it very easy to scale because there's no exposure limit. So as long as you have the down payment, or if you have a group of people in a room who want to form an LLC together, mm -hmm. so say one person doesn't have all the down payment, but your collection of four friends together, you do, you can form an LLC and you guys can do as many properties as you want, as long as you have the down payment. So you could do 10 at once. I mean, I have borrowers come to me and they'll do a loan and two months later come back and do buy another property. So the, cool. the fact that this doesn't count against your credit, doesn't account against your borrowing power, and there's no exposure limit makes it very easy to dive in and scale very quickly. Yeah, that is really interesting. I need to think about that. Yeah, I love that. So tell me, like, what have been some of your biggest struggles in this new career for yourself? What I've found to be interesting is not a lot of people know about this option. Yeah, well, that's and what I so mean. It's crazy. Yeah. I haven't found as much of a struggle because investors are always investing. So I'm not seeing the struggle that normal lenders are seeing and normal lenders are closing up shop. <clears throat> I'm very busy. What I'm finding shocking is that people, realtors who've been in the industry for years, just haven't heard of this and they don't know this is an option for their clients. And so if their clients can't get qualified based on a, a normal loan or conventional loan, they don't know that this is an option. Mm -hmm. So really the biggest struggle is sharing more information about this to let everyone know that, hey, we've got a great great tool over here and I'm available to help you. Yeah. I think that that's, um, like I said, it's just in our industry, so many people, so many real estate agents don't know what to do. Even when a client's like, Hey, I'm an investor, go find me a property. And they're like, Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. It's the same problem here. Here, what, here's what it is. Just mm -hmm. like the real estate industry as a whole is stuck in the ancient brokerage mindset. Yeah. And they, you know, they're, hesitant or at first didn't even know about exp same thing mm -hmm. we're stuck in the mindset just like we get stuck in our mindsets from the you know we're yeah. like okay what how do you buy a house well you either pay cash or you go get a loan from a, a right. lender a conventional lender and there's not enough awareness that you you can unthink those old ancient ways of thinking that there are other choices that might be better that's the problem right. is people just default to what they've always known and they right. don't even hear. Sometimes they probably don't even hear that there are other options available. Yeah. I would say another thing, uh, now that we're on the topic of like a struggle, if we want to use that word in the industry, um, is deconditioning people's mindset. Yeah. So 
I, I'll share this and this will be really valuable. So if, if your if your viewers want to take a piece of paper and a pen or pause it right here and 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 uh, write this down. Wait, do we need to do that? I'm yeah, not probably. <laughs> later. Um, this is a really fun way to think about because remember my brain is very <laughs> my brain is very logical, so it picks things apart and notices patterns, right? And so um, you know, you'll always hear those things of like, oh darn, I missed. I missed it when the buying was good. Yes. If we'd have just bought when, right. right? But people are just clear. They're like, oh, if we, and then you have no idea of when the win is. Right. Mm-hmm. So here is, I'm going to, I'm going to lay this pattern out that you can always remember. You always know what's going to happen like this. Okay. So on baseline, you have housing prices that are low and interest rates that are low. Money is cheap to borrow. So this was like in 2020 when we were going through the pandemic. Then the next step in the series is, Because money is easy to borrow, a lot of people are going to get it. Because a lot of people can access it, a lot of people can make offers on homes. Because a lot of offers on homes are being made, it's slowly driving the price up, right? And so you 25%, 10%, 20% over asking. Okay, so step one is housing prices rise. That happened in 2021. Okay, so then if housing prices rise, guess what else is happening in our economy? Inflation, everything is going up. Assets are getting more expensive. Everything is expensive to buy, right? So then when inflation happens, the Fed pulls a lever that raises rates because we're trying to combat inflation. So this is step number three. Rates are high. Money is expensive to borrow. So then if rates are high, and there's a whole thing to pick apart right here about mindset, but if rates are high, less people, most people are conditioned not to want to take a rate that's high. So then less people are borrowing money, less people are borrowing money, you have less offers on houses. If you have less offers on houses, the houses are going to go back to normal because I would say it's safe to say they were overinflated, right? So they're going to go back to whatever normal is, market is. So we don't know what that is in what city, Miami, it's still growing, but in other parts of the country, the housing prices are falling. So this is step four. So guess what happens next in the series? When less people are buying houses and less people are buying assets, then the interest rate falls. Money becomes cheap to borrow. This is the perfect time to buy a house. But if you do not understand short-term debt cycles and you don't understand all the series in the the cycle, you're not going to know when this is. You will only know this is this when it becomes this and you've missed it. Mm, Okay. Got it. So then if... This goes here and housing prices are high, but money is cheap to borrow. This is the best time to refinance your equity out. And your equity is a tool to be used as foot soldiers to invest in other properties. Mm -hmm. You don't just leave equity in a home or at least the investors that I work with, high net worth individuals. This is the play they always make. Okay. But this is not where we are right now. We are here. I still have investors hand over fist coming to me to take equity out of their house. And here's why. Because the equity is still high right now. And yes, it's starting to fall, but it's it's right here. The rates are high. This is unfortunate. But guess what you get to do in a couple of years when rates drop? You get to refinance. And yes, there is a cost to refinancing, but it is still less than the cost of holding a high interest loan for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So these are the, when someone works with me, Remember, I'm trying to get you to to freedom, right? Mm -hmm. I want you to experience happiness. And so I'm not looking at the checkers moves of, oh my God, the rates are high. We can't do anything. (laughs) I am looking at chess moves. Okay, we do this, but what's our move in two years? What's our move in a year after that? Whether you do the loan with me or not doesn't matter. I don't care. I just want to make sure you know and you're educated on what's going on in the market. 
I love that. That is awesome. There's our girl, educate yourself. I know. I you just it. did girl, educate yourself and moms in real estate all in one. You're welcome, audience. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for not only I love your story and being willing to share all of those things with us, but really ending it on a very yeah, practical Mm-hmm. practical like takeaway mm-hmm. no that was excellent I really appreciate you thank you thank you and tell and everybody tell everybody how they can um sync up with you so what's your social media handle social media on Instagram is Bridget b-r-i-d-g-e-t underscore bricks b-r-i-x and my website is trust capital that's t-r-u-u-s-t capital.com awesome thank you so much Bridget all right thank you ladies Angela Fazio is an industry powerhouse who has overseen 40,000 homes sold and $9 billion in production. And Kristen Kentrell is one of the nation's most accomplished team leaders, helping thousands of agents build their businesses. They are passionate about educating, encouraging, and empowering moms in real estate. Our next episode starts now.